Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue to study Ephesians, I just pray that you'd speak to us through your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace it, that we'd live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, as we've been for the last several Sundays. And if you think about Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it really answers a lot of questions about salvation. You could say the who, how, and why about salvation. We're in verse 5 this morning as our focal verse, but I want to read 3 through 6 in its entirety. So in your Bible, follow along with me. It reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So I finished verse 4 last time. And in verse 4, I pointed out that salvation just isn't about heaven. And I mentioned, unfortunately, too many people look at their salvation as just a destination. It's a ticket or a token, if you will, to be exercised when you're standing before God. And that's not the case. Our salvation is one of power and regeneration in which the believer is not only declared positionally holy, But through the power and indwelling of the Spirit, we are sanctified and moved in holiness. And our salvation isn't out of our own merit and strength. God chooses us. And in fact, all believers, past, present, and future, were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. So clearly, as we went through those verses, I think it is evident, as I've preached through one through four, that God chooses us. He brings us into his kingdom. And this brings up a very important question as we look at verse five. What status do we enjoy in God's kingdom as a Christian? And I bring that up because I think it's a very good question to pose within this context of us being chosen. One could take the view that we were chosen just to escape the flames of hell. There again, that view that salvation isn't about anything else except our final destination. Nothing more, nothing less. And so we've kind of received uh, an honorable mention, if you will. 
And I've encountered, and I'm sure you've encountered people that have this view, that because they don't have a correct view of salvation, they never can escape their past life. And unfortunately, I've met Christians with this view, that they never can get beyond their past. And in fact, they drag it around like a ball and chain. It's a burden for them. And unfortunately, it also limits them in the exercising of their gifts. If you remember, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have all received a spiritual gift to be utilized within the kingdom of God. And I typically find people that have this low view of salvation. Well, I can't do those things because I'm not good enough. I had that view for years in regards to filling of the pulpit. I wasn't good enough. You have to have a biblical view of salvation, the correct biblical view for you to experience all what God has in store for you. And I will tell you that our salvation is far more than an honorable mention. That our status within the kingdom of God isn't someone who's just escaped the flames of hell and we kind of sit over in the corner until that time comes. And in fact, verse 5 answers our status. Let's look at 4 and 5 together again. It says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. There you have our status. We're a child of the king. We have been adopted as sons and daughters into his family. We've been adopted. Now, as you look at this verse, it would be tempting for us to apply the modern concept of adoption in reading these verses. And this would be a mistake. The proper way as we study these verses is to look and say, okay, ask several questions. Well, who's writing the letter that we're studying? And who's the audience? And and what's the time and the circumstances in, in which they lived? And of course, we know that Paul wrote the letter. Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. That's a very important point as we go forward. He was writing it to the church at Ephesus, which was under Roman power and under Roman legal authority. And why do I bring this up? So when he said that we are adopted as sons, Roman adoption is completely different than American adoption in a number of ways. When we think about adopting, it's typically a couple adopts because they want a child. Roman adoption had a different motivation typically, and especially as it applied to males. The motivation for Roman adoption is because they needed an heir. Because without a male heir, your family would lose all status, wealth, and power. So you have to look at it within that light. And when you think about Roman adoption law, Roman adoption law was basically a business transaction 
between two fathers so that the male who was heirless could become an heir and maintain his family's social and wealth status. When Honer wrote his commentary on Ephesians, he commented on this particular transaction this way, and I'd like to read it to you. He says, In order to understand adoption, one must understand the structure of the Roman family. The father had absolute power over the members of his family so that he could even take the life of a member of his family and that act would not be considered murder. With regard to property, he had full legal ownership of everything the family had and could dispose of it as he willed. On the other hand, in the Greek family, the father did not have absolute power over his family, nor was he the legal owner of all the family's property. Under Roman law, The procedure of adoption had two steps. In the first step, the son had to be released from the control of his natural father. This was done by a procedure whereby the father sold him as a slave three times to the adopter. The adopter would release him two times and he would automatically again come under his father's control. With the third cell, the adoptee was freed from his natural father. Regarding the second step, since the natural father no longer had any authority over him, the adopter became the new father with absolute control over him, and he retained this control until the adoptee died or the adopter freed him. The son was not responsible to his natural father, but only to his newly acquired father. The purpose of this adoption was so that the adoptee could take the position of a natural son in order to continue the family line and maintain property ownership. Now, if you look at that adoption framework, if you will, in that light, and you... Keep that in mind as we look at these verses, that we went from, if you were adopted under Roman law, you went from a natural father to an adopted father. Let's kind of work through that. And I guess, first of all, we have to ask, did we have a natural father? Did we have a father before we came to know Christ? Let's go to John 8. And in John 8, verse 42, Jesus is speaking to the Jews who did not believe in him. John 8, starting in verse 42, and this is the words of Christ. He said, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own But he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? And then he gives them the answer. Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. 
because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's Jesus addressed the Jews. He tells them, the unbelieving Jew, you are of your father, the devil. Now, you could possibly take the argument that that was to that specific group of people. But if that's your stand, let me give you another verse. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll we'll get there eventually, but Ephesians chapter 2 has some reference for our topic today. And if you look at verse 1 of Ephesians 2, it says, In you he made alive, this is referring to God saving us, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now look at verse 3 and how he describes us before Christ. Among whom also we all, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This was our life before Christ. And so when you think about how Paul is addressing our focal passage this morning, it says that we were adopted as sons. In other words, Our life before was under the sway of the devil. We were in darkness. That's what John says, right? We were in darkness. He called us from darkness into light. So this idea, this false idea of salvation about how somehow we had enough righteousness to recognize God. Or in our own strength, in our own morality, we chose God. That's absolutely false, and it is impossible. God chose us. He adopted us. And it's really important for us to remember that. As we look at our salvation and as we appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ did and the fact that he saved us and brought us out of darkness and brought us out of the dominion of the devil. Now... What's our status right now? Well, let's look at Romans 8, 12. You're going to see some familiar words here as Paul addresses the Romans. Romans 8, 12. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together." says that we're children of God. Our status before Christ. Our father was the devil. Our status now, we're children of God. Now let's think about that in the area of adoption. 
I had a roommate at Baylor. I'd already met his mom and dad, really nice people. And I met his sister. And we were sitting there talking one day. And his parents and sister were about to uh, come visit him for the weekend. And he told me that he was adopted. And I told him, I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, no, why do you say that? Well, they all had kind of this reddish tint to their hair. Mom and dad, my roommate, his sister. They all looked alike. I mean, really alike. And I said, you, you're adopted? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, is your sister adopted? Yeah, yeah, she's adopted too. And I said, but from, the, from your same mom and dad, right? Your, your, your birth? No, no, different family. And that just kind of blew me away because not only did they all look so much alike, they also all acted the same. They had this very similar personalities. Now, in all times in adoptions, the child doesn't choose, right? The parents choose. Isn't that with us, with our spiritual father? Is that he chose us? He chose us for adoption? That's a really important point. As we think about living and walking with God is that we have been chosen. Now, a lot of times when you get to this point with adoption, people just want to apply this concept of us being heirs. And we are heirs. If you look Back at Romans 8, it says in verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we sing a song about that, don't we? Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. And so you think about that in a heavenly term. But I want you to think about this in all of the aspects of what adoption means. What adoption means as we apply it to our salvation. When you look at Romans 8, 12, it says that we are debtors. That we're debtors. If you look at that in the original language, it means that we're under obligation. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now let's think about that in the terms of Roman adoption. Not a heavenly destination, but let's put it in context of the world in which Paul lived. And by the way, this Roman adoption wasn't unusual. A lot of Roman Caesars went through this. Augustus was adopted under this type of situation. When one is adopted and especially in this context, your wealth status changes immensely. That in the Roman world, you were going from a family that typically had nothing to a family who was rich in wealth and in power. 
Can you imagine? I mean, in a world which you would have never been able to gain that status on your own, all of a sudden you find yourself with a world of wealth and power. Do you think that you would feel somewhat obligated to your adopting father and that your life has just been dramatically changed? Shouldn't we have the same view? That we were adopted out of darkness? We were adopted out of being held in bondage to a life of freedom to pursue the truths of God, not because of our merit or our righteousness, but God loved us in his mercy and he brought us out of darkness into light. And therefore we are obligated not to live to the flesh, but to live according to the spirit. I think that's important. And in fact, there in Romans 8 verse 15, Romans eight fifteen, it says that we should have the spirit of adoption. We should have the spirit of adoption. Well, how do you get the spirit of adoption? Well, you got the spirit of adoption because God gave us the spirit, didn't he? And in that we have a relationship. And through that we have joy and grace and we have the correct view of the great life that we have in Christ because of our salvation. What do you call a kid that feels like they are entitled to everything? Spoiled, right? And looking back, there were times in my life where I was this most spoiled kid. It's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And unfortunately, in Christianity today, I think that you could accurately say that there are a lot of people who look at their salvation with a sense of entitlement. We're just supposed to have it. After all, we walked down the aisle, we said a few words, we did this or we did that, depending upon your denominational background. Hey, I've got it. I've got it. And I deserve all of the things that I'm supposed to have in Christ. And that bleeds into every aspect of Christianity. If you take that view, if you live this idea of being an entitled believer, that all of these things that we find in the Bible that are promised to us require nothing on our end. And all of a sudden, worship is diminished. Bible study is diminished. Prayer life is diminished. Because after all, we deserve it. Because we picked God. But that isn't the correct view. And it says that we are to live as debtors. Well, we're to live as debtors because it's impossible for an adopted child to pick their parents. The father picked us. 
He saved us. He forgave us. And then he brought us into his household to where we are joint heirs with Jesus. We have an inheritance. We have a gift that he can never, ever take away. And that should cause us to have this spirit of adoption to where we feel accepted in his family. And we want to serve and we want to take on the attributes of living within the Father's house. That should be who we are. We should want to look like the Father. We should desire to be the Father. We should have that sense of obligation. And in fact, it's so transformative. If you look at Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit changes us through the power of sanctification. And as we come and as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, I think that this is something that we should focus on. And unfortunately, I think that so many times today, people do not take an inventory of their life against the benchmark of Scripture and truth and God. Am I pursuing the things of God? Am I living according to His truth? Am I behaving like a son or a daughter. That's convicting, isn't it? If we ask ourselves, am I behaving like a son or a daughter of the Father? And if you ask yourself that question, and as you look at your life and you're saying, my life isn't measuring up at this point. It's not a top priority. It's not all lost, is it? Because we have a loving Father. And in having a loving Father, He's there to receive us and to forgive us and to restore us. It's not too late. So many times you have people who have had this liberal view of salvation and they've taken their salvation for granted, and they've lived decade upon decade without pursuing the things of God, and then they'll go, oh, well, well, it's too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. God is a God of restoration. And if we confess our sins of where we've drifted and where we've acted like a spoiled child and said, I want to recommit my life. I want to recommit my life to where my life is reflected of being a child of God. I'm going to rededicate my life to reflect that I am a child of God. It is never, ever too late. And God will work through that. And you'll experience the joy that you're supposed to have. I remember when I was a kid, I asked my dad one time, I wanted to go to a concert. It was two hours away. It was in another town. And we were driving down the road, and I thought, you know, he's going to say no. 
but I'm just going to ask. And I said, Dad, I said, I'd like to go to this concert. And I'd like to take a date. And he goes, well, where is it at? And I said, well, it's in Shreveport. That was about two hours away. Two hours away and out of state. And I thought, here's the no. He said, well, you know, Monty, I don't think your car could make it. And I thought, all right, well, this is a nice no. And he said, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to loan you my car. And you go and have a good time. I was flabbergasted. And I said, really? He said, you know, he said, you've never given me a lot of trouble. And he said, so if you don't give me a lot of trouble, you get to do some nice things. He said, go and have a good time. I was just speechless because I fully expected to be told no. But isn't that how it works in the father's house? is that if we follow the teachings and truths of God, we experience the joy of being with the Father. We don't experience the joy of being with the Father if we're living our life however we want to and we're disobeying the Father's commands. My friends, joy, just as it says in 1 John, joy comes with fellowship and obedience. And we can experience that because we have been adopted by God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that we have been redeemed, we've been adopted, and we've been accepted to where we can stand in your presence with boldness. I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't live our life as being spoiled, but we would live our life with gratitude and we would want to live our life to where we please you by being obedient to your teachings and truths. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening that has never accepted you, that they would repent from their sins and ask Christ into their heart. I pray, Lord, that this church may always stand for your truth. We give you the praise and glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.